The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Michelle, this is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kathleen Floyd. She's the Deputy Director of Investor Education at the Securities and Exchange Commission. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Kathy. Thank you, Jordan. Pleasure to be here. Let's just start with a little bit of your background and what you did before you got to the SEC and just tell a little bit about your role at the SEC. Well, before I do that, let me give my standard SEC disclaimer, and that is that uh, as a matter of policy, um, the SEC disclaims responsibility for any private publications or statements by any of its employees, and the views expressed in this presentation do not necessarily reflect the views of the SEC, the chairman, or other members of the SEC staff. So, in other words... These are my own words. Very good. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Um, sure. For 15 years, I worked in Baltimore City Public Schools running programs for students, um, especially the Academy of Finance program, which is part of the National Academy Foundation, and learned about how important financial literacy is to all demographics of students and how the students' eyes lit up when they when they learned how to manage their money and, and how to uh, become members of the economy. Um, after that, while I was at Baltimore City Public Schools, uh, every group that I worked with, I had them play the stock market game because I think learning how to save and invest is a critical skill for today's youth. And one day I got a phone call from the stock market game in New York, which is uh, run by the Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association, and they asked if I would come and be the executive director for the stock market game throughout the country. So for about five years, I was um, I ran the, the SIFMA Foundation, uh, which really was the stock market game. And we had about 850,000 students and about 25,000 teachers. Uh, participate in that program. And while I was there, we revamped the entire curriculum so that uh, it was a great learning opportunity for the students and a great learning opportunity for the teachers. From that, I received a phone call from uh, the chairman's office here at the SEC, and they asked if I wanted to come over and be the uh, deputy director for investor education here at the SEC. So I've been here for about three years. It's been very, very interesting for me because I'm learning um, as we go along. Also, my background has been in youth and understanding students, especially high school students and, and college students, and how they learn about financial literacy. And now um, we run the whole gamut from uh, cradle to grave. So we spend a lot of time working with senior citizens and uh, with different demographics to help them learn more about savings and investing. Our three major themes are to understand the risk of what you're buying, understand the fees that you're paying, and um, preventing fraud. So, so what a nutshell, that's uh, about me. 
let, let, before we get into some of the specific areas that the office covers, I just wanted to get your overall sense of financial literacy in the country, both youth and working age and retired people. Is financial literacy uh, getting better? There certainly seem to be a lot of programs out there, or is it getting worse? What is your kind of overall state of financial literacy? Well, I don't think it's – I think there's a lot of effort being made, and I think there's a lot of people who are in this area – but there's so much more to be done. The country is such a large country that sometimes I feel like we're just throwing a pebble in, in the ocean um, to get the information to people. So um, what, in my estimation, and this is me speaking, what we need is we need a, a, a dedicated programs in each of the schools so students can start young learning about financial literacy. And we need to keep going with those type programs um, especially when people are making critical financial decisions. So the literature that we have seen says about 50% of the people um, understand, you know, financial literacy and, and what's happening. So we have way, way, way long way to go before um, we feel like we've, we've accomplished what we need to accomplish in financial literacy. There have been quite a few states that do have it mandated now to be teaching in the schools. Is that correct? Is that a growing trend? Yeah, you know, I see different numbers on that. I think the last number I thought was, I found was 17 um, different states, but it's different in every state. So a, a, they could have it mandated in the state, but unless they're testing it and it becomes a high-stakes test, you have to wonder how much activity is going into it. One of the most interesting things that I've seen lately, Jordan, is that um, there's the core competencies that um, the federal government's developed, uh, the core skills, and there's been a lot of talk about putting financial literacy right into the English and math uh, skills. So instead of having it as a standalone topic, it would be more integrated into math and, um, and verbal or math and literature. And it's easy to see how you can do this. Uh, we did a whole program at the stock market game called Math Behind the Market that made it, uh, a big difference in um, students' NAEP test scores in the area of math. So I'm really in favor of putting it into the core subjects so that it's not a standalone, but it's just integrated in what students learn. What have been the results so far? of the states that do have mandated personal finance education, are their students much more educated and doing much better than those without uh, requirements like that? Yeah, the, the information is really spotty on doing the longitudinal tests. Some of the longitudinal tests that I've seen shows that it doesn't make much of a difference. Um, but does that mean we give up or does that mean we just keep trying and we find a better way to do it? Um, I just read a report probably an hour ago that that said that, you know, you really have to look at not only teaching them, but renewing that knowledge when they have critical, critical times in their lives. So it's great to talk about mortgage interest, for instance, um, and how do you get a mortgage and why your credit score is important when someone's a high school freshman. But you really need to when they're buying their house for the first time, get that information to them anew so that they can really understand, you know, 
it's good to give them a taste in the beginning, but when they make those critical junctions, they need that information again. Indeed. So let's talk about more on the adult side as far as fraud. We're going to get into the, the details of this. But is your sense that people are more uh, educated about fraud and, and not getting taken as much, or are people getting taken more and more by fraud? What, what is your sense on the awareness about the ability to get defrauded? Well, you know, I think that the fraudsters are really smart and that although they use the same persuasion tactics almost all the time, there's always different products and there's always different um, gimmicks. So it's really a constant battle. I think people now understand what a Ponzi scheme is, for instance. But do they know the warning signs so that they don't get taken in to participate in one? So I think in general, people are more knowledgeable. But with that knowledge, people feel secure in themselves that they're not going to be taking, taken. And that in itself is a warning sign. So when the Madoff case came out in 2008, uh, it was not only bad in itself, but it seemed to spawn a whole bunch of other Ponzi schemes that had been going on for a long time, Stanford and just a whole bunch of other ones that had been going on that nobody seemed to know about. They all kind of blew up at once after the Madoff thing came out. Why was that going on for so long, do you think? Well, you know, um, um, Warren Buffett says that when the I'm, – I'm sure I'm going to get this quote wrong – but when the water goes off, goes out, when the ocean goes out, you could see how many people don't have their bathing suits on or something of that. That's right, yeah. <laughs> you know, and what happened was when the economy went down, people started losing their jobs. People who were invested in what they thought were bona fide investments that weren't started to want to take their cash out of those investments. And once all of those people started to take the cash out of their investments, the whole thing collapses. So when the economy goes down, automatically more Ponzi schemes are um, are shown. And I think one year we did we uncovered sixty Ponzi schemes at the SEC. Um, so you know that's why there was so many following the Madoff because it, it coincided with the downturn in the economy. No, they rely on new money coming in to keep it going. And if people lose their jobs and they'll keep putting the new money in, that's when it falls apart. Yes. Well, the two things, they're not getting new money in, and they're also having people that want to get their money out. Yes. Yes, indeed. So, so let, let's go into a little bit about the, some of the common persuasion techniques that fraudsters use uh, to separate people from their money. The first one being, I guess, what you call phantom riches. What, what is the pitch around that, and why is that so persuasive? Well, phantom riches is really someone trying to get you to get excited. Um, they try to get you to imagine um, these, da- you know, they're dangling incredible returns in front of you, the, you know, guarantees, risk-free investing, and you know if any, something's too good to be true that it isn't. Um, and what they're really trying to do is they're saying that the investment will lead to a better lifestyle. You know, um, so... You, you know, you have to, we call them the red flag rules. You have to think about what is the salesperson really saying and what are the, the images that they're trying to build in your head? Are they dangling incredible returns and guarantees? Um, are they saying that your investment will lead to a better lifestyle? I drive a Porsche and you could drive a Porsche too if you invest in this. Um, you know, they're just preying on your hopes and dreams. 
So is it always not true? I mean, if, if they're dangling that, you should basically just hang up the phone because there's no possibility that that's true? Well, you know, w- what we usually say, what I usually say is know your interest market. So if you know that the bank is giving a point three percent return and you know that T bills I didn't I don't know what they're trading at today, but you know, maybe two per two percent back on treasuries and and you know that, that that interest right now is very low and someone comes to you and says, I guarantee you a six percent, an eight percent, a ten percent return that's too good to be true. So immediately, you know, one of those, you know, that's one of our red flag rules. You know, then what you need to do is you need to do the research. Is this person registered? Every person who sells a security must be registered. Every security that's sold must be registered. So you start doing your research on it and finding out why. And no investment is guaranteed. So if they're talking guaranteed then that's another big red flag. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kathleen Floyd. She's Deputy Director of Investor Education at the Securities and Exchange Commission. And we'll be talking more after we get back about how to protect yourself against investment fraud. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Are you and your family in debt? Today, over 40% of American households are spending more than they make. And that means our society is getting deeper and deeper in debt. Escape the Debt Trap with host and attorney Kenneth Neely is here to help you avoid the problems involved with debt, including rebuilding credit, filing bankruptcy, short-selling your home, resolving IRS tax problems, and much more. Escape the Debt Trap airs live every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kathleen Floyd. She's Deputy Director of Investor Education at the Securities and Exchange Commission. Welcome back to the show, Kathy. Thank you. We were talking about ways that fraudsters can separate you from your money. And uh, the other one is what you call source credibility. What do you mean by that and how does that work? Well, you know, it's better to deal with credible people, you know, or individuals that have authority, um, you know, your stockbroker or your investment advisor. But what we're talking about is that credibility can be faked. And you need to make sure that any claim that your broker or uh, investment advisor makes is, can be verified. Um, so check the background of the professional. Know more about them. We have There's a website called um, Broker Check where you can actually go in and check your broker. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, Every person who sells a security must be registered. They're either registered with FINRA, which is the Financial Regulatory Authority, or the SEC. But the broker check links both systems, so you could check. And you could check on things like how many jobs has this person had in the last couple of years? Has there ever been an arbitration case against them? Um, and, you know, do, are there complaints against him? and what kind of educational background they have. So we strongly urge people to check the credibility of um, the people that that um, they work with. But let me talk about one special area in source credibility that drives me just wild. It's called professional designations. And you've probably seen this, Jordan, where people put initials after their name, mm-hmm. and they could be, you know, JD for a lawyer. But in this area... There's a lot of different initials, like there's one um, like a RFA, Registered Financial Associate. And, you know, what, what, is, what does all this mean? And my favorite one that I've ever seen was HSD. Do you know what that would stand for? I would assume securities dealer. I'm not sure. High school diploma. Oh, good. Well, that's... So, um, there is a website called saveandinvest.org, and there is a section on it that's called Understanding Professional Designations, and you can actually go on there and check to see what the professional designation is that the person puts after their name. But even better, it has like not only what the letters stand for and who is the issuing organization, but it talks about the experience and the educational requirements to get that designation. Some of these designations, they go on a golf weekend and they go to a classroom for an hour, or it could be a CPA where they take many years of study to get where they need to go. So you as the consumer, the, the investor needs to know what are these designations, what do they mean, and what do they mean for me? Well, other than the two you mentioned, what are some of the designations that people use that really are not legitimate, that do not have any credibility to them, but people use them anyway? Well, I, I don't know a lot of them besides HSD, which I think doesn't mean a lot, but um, there's a PRP, Plan Sponsor Retirement Professional, and, uh, you know, there's a... 
PRPS, Personal Retirement Planning Specialist. There's a whole list of them. Um, and what FINRA, who runs the SaveAndInvest.org site, does is as soon as they hear of one, they'll put it up. So all the latest ones are up there, and I would certainly urge everyone to um, find out whether the designations that their uh, person has after their names are accredited by anyone and, you know, find out what they need to know to understand these designations. So in addition to the designations, how else can a consumer or investor uh, see if a, a source that somebody's selling really is credible if they're just kind of making it up? Well, I think that the one thing that they could do is they go to broker check. So in broker check, it's going to actually talk about the educational credentials of the person. So, you know, where did they go to college? What did they learn? How, you know, um, and all sorts of information on, um, uh, you know, what they what what has they've done to get to where they are today. So if there haven't been complaints really the place to against go. them, if there haven't been complaints, though, it won't say much about them in broker check other than their education and, and so on, right? Right. And this is state as well as uh, it combines all the different sources of complaint into one place? The broker check, yeah. Everything's linked right now, yes. It wasn't until like last July, but now it's linked together. Uh-huh. Okay, good. Another thing you, you call social consensus. Mm-hmm. Uh, or is This is also related to, I guess, affinity, affinity fraud. So how do people right. use that to con people out of their money? Um, well, you know, it's the whole concept of if everybody wants it, it must be good. Um, so um, you know, in the late 1990s, there was the whole um, gold scheme. Not gold. Um, what do you call those? Uh, high-tech stocks. Remember there was a high-tech bubble? And people yeah, the, were dot, the dot-com. People were investing in, in high-tech Stocks that they didn't even have, have, these companies hadn't even made profits yet. So because they haven't even made profits yet, you know, people were still investing in and there was a big bubble. So you really have to think of, are you really interested in this investment? And, you know, how, how is the investment going to be good for you as opposed to just listening to the, to the, to the speech? And you see social consensus everywhere around you. You know, McDonald's has a sign up and says billions and billions of hamburgers sold. Um, you know, the housing bubble or the dot-com bubble. Um, so, you know, what we really say in the area of social consensus is think about whether you're, you are really interested in this product. Is this right for you? Just because everyone's buying, you know, ETS, is that the right investment for you? If everybody's buying an annuity, is that the right investment for you? Um, how does it, you know, how does it fit into your financial picture? Um, and does, what would you say today would be the area that's most heavily promoted with social consensus? What, what is the most popular thing that people are getting into that they may not, should not be able to do so? I don't know the answer to that um, because we, I think any product could be a victim of social consensus. Uh, it could be a, a, a low-cap stock that people are promoting. Um, it could, you know, the, it just could be anything. So I don't have a particular, like a dot-com type thing. There's, um, there's no specific phrase, uh, uh, kind of craze that's going on compared to in the past, you're saying? No, not that I could, 
not that I know of offhand, but that's the thing about a bubble. People don't usually see it's a bubble until after. You know, it, it's always better to see it in hindsight. Like now we know that the housing bubble was a bubble. Um, so. Okay. Then the other thing you talk about is reciprocity. How do people oh, use that? One of my favorites. Yes. Um, this is the fact that you, you do a small favor for someone and you get a big favor in return. So, um, how many of your, your listeners have gotten those um, uh, free dinner and free lunch seminar uh, series? So, you know, they'll, they'll get something in the mail to come from an investment advisor to come have a lunch or a dinner, and then they sit through the lunch or the dinner, and then after the lunch or the dinner, they get the big, big sales push. And, um, and what I say to people all the time is, you know, it, the concept is somebody does a small favor for you, and then you do a big favor for them, reciprocity. And I say to people, does this make any sense? They buy you lunch, you give them your life savings. So um, we want people to think about, and we're not saying that, that all of the free lunch and free dinner seminars are bad. We're just saying to think it out and to always, always have a refusal script. I tell the story, Jordan, all the time. My mom, who's 83, goes to these um, free lunch and dinner seminars with her friend Mary O'Neill, and um, they sit through the dinner, and then at the end, when they start giving them the sales pitch, she always says, oh, my daughter's a deputy director at the SEC. Give me all the information, and I'll check it with her. That's her refusal script. Now, people never give her the information, and... Um, <laughs> And then she, you know, she goes home, and they don't, they don't call her. So when I speak to my seniors, I always say, you know, when I go and speak to seniors, I always say to them, you can use me as your daughter. <laughs> but the idea is to always have a refusal script. I have to bring it to my accountant. I have to bring it to my lawyer. Never make a decision immediately. And, you know, this is a real issue for Americans. We are used to reciprocity. If you invited me to your house for dinner, Jordan, I would feel like I should invite you to my house for dinner. It's, it's creating it's a sense of obligation is what you're saying. It's, yeah, it's a give and take system that we have here in the States. So this is one that we, we want people to really think about when they're doing. Another thing you say people use to get people to invest where they shouldn't is the idea of scarcity. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, if something is rare or scarce, it, it's more valuable. You know, is this offer good for a limited time only? You know, a lot of people talk about got to make the decision, got to make that decision, got to make that decision. A friend of mine called me a couple of weeks ago and said, uh, my sister wants to invest $10,000, and I told her um, she had to talk to you first. And I said, well, I'm traveling. I could do it on Wednesday. I could talk to her on Wednesday. She goes, oh, no, you need to talk to her tonight. Because if she doesn't invest by Sunday night, she loses the investment. She can't invest. Well, I told her that I don't need to talk to her because, you know, it's a scam. Anything that you have to do that you have to do that minute is not good. Investments, you know, there should be no investment except some IPOs that most people shouldn't even be investing in that um, you have to make a decision right away. So, you know, take time to evaluate the offer and the emotion of the pitch. Are they trying to elicit emotion out of you? And is the investment available for only time, only 
limited time or limited quantity, and those should also be red flags. So in terms of limited number of shares, or mm-hmm. you can only invest a certain amount, of, they're not only limiting the time you can do it, but uh, you only can put a certain amount. And as I remember, Madoff would say he, he wouldn't allow people to invest, you know, only if you could do a special deal. He was making it hard for people to invest, which increased their desire to put in even more money. Exactly. So, and all of but, these are red flags that people should be looking for. Why is it that people keep making the same mistake over and over again? They don't learn. Well, because we as a uh, as a people are, are optimistic. That's our nature. And our optimism is that this is an investment that's going to work out. I'm going to be able to make some money out of this. And, you know, what we found, which is really interesting, is that the um, Finner did some research and it found that the group most likely to be defrauded were um, uh, men between the ages of 55 and 65 who uh, are college-educated and um, uh, are more financially literate. Usually they're married, and they become more risk-takers because they feel that if they could just swing one out of the park... Um, that they'd be all set up for retirement. So that's the group that, that the fraudsters really go after because, let's face it, they're the people who have accumulated the most, most wealth. Yes, so indeed. they're going to go after the people that have the most wealth. Very good. Okay, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kathleen Floyd. She's Deputy Director of Investor Education at the Securities and Exchange Commission. And we'll be back after this. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network join patricia raskin the host of positive living on VoiceAmerica.com monday 11 pacific this program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic engaging and passionate life patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting giving forgiving and miraculous living so tune in and call to positive living mondays at 11 pacific time right here on voiceamerica.com Today's business marketplace is becoming increasingly global thanks to technologies that didn't even exist a few short years ago. Your business might be a startup or you might be one of the global 500. Either way, you're probably looking at customers and competitors in faraway regions. Listen for Global Reach with host Tay Revez as she brings together experts, ideas, and listeners to help you anywhere in the world. Global Reach is broadcast every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. 
Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kathleen Floyd. She's Deputy Director of Investor Education at the Securities and Exchange Commission. Welcome back to the show, Kathy. Hi. Thanks for having me back. You want to give some websites about where people can go to find out about uh, particular securities advisors to make sure they can check people out? I do. I, I wanted to first talk about, you know, ask and check. We want you to ask questions and then check those questions. We talked about broker check. And you can find broker check um, on saveandinvest.org. I'm sorry. And then for uh, information from the SEC, we have two websites. We have uh, www.investor.gov, and investor.gov is a great website to get real good basic information uh, and to research your stocks and bonds and, and um, mutual funds. And um, the other site is www.sec.gov. So if you're doing a lot of research on uh, some of the SEC filings, that would be a good place to go. Uh, if you are looking, one of the places, if you don't find your broker listed for some reason, you might want to check with your state security commissioner. And each state has a security commissioner, especially uh, who sells investment uh, professionals and products. Uh, and their website is www.nasa, not like the space agency, NASA with two A's. So it's N-A-S-A-A dot org. That's www.nasaa.org, which is the North American Securities Administrators Association. And lastly, um, I'm not sure if you knew, but annuities are not regulated by the SEC. Uh, we do um, equity index annuities are regulated by the state. We do variable annuities are regulated by the SEC. But if you have an annuity and you have an annuity question, those are regulated by your state insurance commissioner. And you can find a list and, and a uh, link to your state secu- um, insurance commissioner at www.naic.org, which is the National Association of Insurance Commissioners. Very good. Now, one area of fraud that people have to watch out for is what's called affinity fraud. Yes. Maybe first define what affinity fraud is, how it draws people in. And maybe just give some recent examples of, of some people who've been defrauded because of uh, the, the affinity they felt for the uh, people selling it. Well, affinity fraud almost always involves a fake investment or an investment where the fraudster lies about details. Many affinity frauds are Ponzi or pyramid schemes uh, where the money is given to the promoter by new investors, is paid to old investors, and they do it by infiltrating the group. So they they are frequently members of a group that they're trying to defraud. So they'll join church groups. They'll join um, – um, we had one with a retired bus drivers union in uh, Los Angeles. Um, there's a number of different frauds that they do. But it's the common core is, is that people begin to trust and friendship exists within a group of people uh, and then the fraudster gets into that group, 
and works with them. And one of the things that we find, Jordan, that's very interesting, the person who recruits you may not be the fraudster. It may be that they've been recruited by the fraudster and they think it's such a good deal that they then um, are helping, you know, to get you involved because they think it's such a good deal. So the people bringing you in got in earlier and they might benefit by getting paid if, if they keep bringing more people in is what you're saying. Or they could just think that, you know, oh, this is such a good deal. I'm going to tell my sister-in-law about it so she can get in on this good deal. It's a good deal until it isn't a good deal, basically. Well, I guess some, some, of the other, if, some of the other affinities are religious organizations. Is that right? Um, um, and, it could be religious organization. Um, I remember when I was in Baltimore, my secretary, who made $23,000 a year, uh, was in her church, and someone came up to her and said, if you put in $50 a month, at the end of the month, or at the end of the year, you'll have $1,000 with interest. And I was like, you know, this is too good to be true. This is not. And then it turns out that that was a Ponzi scheme. But yeah. i got to tell you, Jordan, the, the saddest one that I've seen is one where they went um, on YouTube and um, – in sign language, they got a number of deaf people to um, participate in this in this Ponzi scheme, and they did it because it's such a tight knit community that they felt that if somebody was speaking to them in sign language, that they must be okay. Yeah, that's pretty bad. And it was a huge Ponzi scheme that we were our, our Salt Lake regional office was able to prosecute. And um, and stop, but we have heard of other schemes for for deaf people that have come up in its place. So that's one area that we're constantly monitoring and looking at. What are some of the things people should look out for to avoid being taken by affinity fraud? Well, in almost every case of affinity fraud, the interest return is at an unreasonable rate. So that's the first red flag. If somebody comes up to you and it sounds like it's too good to be true, I keep saying that, but you know it's, it's, it's the truth. If they come up to you and they say, okay, you know, you can get a 12% return on your money. Some of them are 50, 60, 70, 100% return on your money. You know it's not going to happen and you know you're just losing your money to them. So that's, that's the biggest hallmark um, and the second thing is is that the person who's selling it is probably not registered so you need to check go back I know I sound like a broken record here Jordan you need to go and check the registration of anyone who's selling you a security and if somebody in your church comes and says you know you should buy this this person selling it check back who's talking to you and then go back and find out whether the person who they're talking to is actually registered. And if they're not, we really want you to call us. We really want you to report this into the SEC because we're only as good as the eyes and ears that are out there helping us. Another area that you're finding more fraud is kind of social media and online newsletters and things like that. What are some big things people should look for be suspicious of uh, social media? Well, you know, we have a we have a list of tips for avoiding some online fraud, and the first tip, of course, is to look out for the red flags, the ones we've been talking about, the social persuasion, 
the, you know, credible gains. This is a breakout stock pick. Um, all of those kinds of things that you see in social media. There's, there's, um, a, a type of stock fraud called pump and dump where someone, uh, really promotes, they buy a stock, say it's selling at 50 cents, and they promote it heavily through social media. And then when it gets up to a dollar or two dollars, they sell all their stock, the stock collapses, and everybody loses their money. So, you know, always look for those red flags, promises of returns. Always be wary of unsolicited offers. If, you know, you get something and it's an email that you don't know who it's from, just erase it. it those unsolicited authors um, really could be a fraudulent scam. So look out for those. And look out for affinity frauds that we were just talking about. And, you know, if it's a, you're in a chat room, I don't even know if people do chat rooms anymore, but, you know, or bulletin boards, and they start talking about um, how this person is trustworthy and how you should invest with them, all of those things. Um, are, you know, are back to being being red flags. There are also not only online, but a lot of newsletters that go out with very glossy brochures and all kinds of promises of big big returns and breakthroughs and so on. Uh, they usually have in the small print that they're basically uh, ads or kind of bought research. But is that something people should watch out for as well? Yes, but by law, if they are taking money from anybody that they're writing about. They have to put that information on the newsletter. So really look through those newsletters to make sure that they have checked that, you know, that they're just not reading an advertisement um, and they do their research on, um, on the company. Look at the total mix of information that's out on that company. Don't rely on one source um, for purchasing. So check out all the, all the tips that are in any kind of newsletter. In general, if somebody's being paid, to promote a particular stock. Is that something you should watch out for just because of that conflict of interest? They should, and not only that, but they should. They have to disclose that information. And if you find out later that it wasn't disclosed, you should actually call the SEC and report it. So, um, you know, all of that information should be public. You know, we work on a system of disclosure that it's – required for people to disclose all the information that they have about a product or about a stock. Now, a lot of these are particularly aimed at seniors. My sense is today, with interest rates so low, as you say, you're earning you know, less than 1% mm -hmm. on CDs and treasury bills. Seniors are more susceptible to these investments offering high yields, safety than, than other people. Is that particularly who are they, they're aimed at? I mean, even beyond the 65-year-old. We're still working. Uh, is that a big target for them? Well, you know, it is because, you know, there are a lot of scams out there these days that are just saying, we offer 4%. And you would think that that wouldn't be enough for someone to go into a, you know, a high-risk investment. But it is because people are seeing that as, you know, a, a large increase over what they're going to be getting in a um, – CD or a bank, just like you said, um, there are a lot of products that, um, you know, principal protected notes, for instance, that are really complicated. And so it's real important for your listeners to understand how their product is making money. 
And there's a couple of things with that. One, how does the product make money? And two, is it liquid? If you needed to sell this product that you're being sold, can you turn around and sell it on the market? Or is it the type of investment that can't be sold? And those are the kind of things you need to, to think about when you're purchasing something. So, so in my case, they have surrender charges or penalties for getting out of them before a certain number of years that people are not aware of. They, and some places, they're not even liquid, some of these products. They'll say, we have to wait until we find a buyer. So, you know, surrender charges might be your, your best solution as opposed to not being able to even get out of what, you, what you've purchased because they're, you know, esoteric products. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kathleen Floyd. She's Deputy Director of Investor Education at the Securities and Exchange Commission. And we'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kathleen Floyd. She's Deputy Director of Investor Education at the Securities and Exchange Commission. Welcome back to the show, Kathy. Hi. I want to give some uh, tips on picking uh, financial advisors, financial professionals, because uh, there's so many out there. You said they have so many designations. What are some things people should do to find appropriate financial advisors? 
Um, well, we have five major tips that we talk about. One is do your homework and ask questions. You know, you need to find out about the professional, find out what kind of accounts he has uh, and what would he be recommending, which leads us to tip number two. Find out whether the products and services available are right for you. I heard the other day about a lady uh, who was sold a, a variable annuity at the age of 92. And it, the surrender period was for eight years. So she'd have to be 100 before she can, you know, get all of her money back or get the percentage of money back. So, you know, just like a grocery store offers more products um, than you would really need, so does a financial service advisor. And so you need to really think through what are your goals and what are the products that you that match up what you want to accomplish in your life. You is know, that illegal to sell something to somebody that's inappropriate? Is there, there is a so-called know your customer rule, right? Absolutely. And that so person could, should immediately call the SEC. Um, but, you know, there's some that are more questionable. You know, if they're selling, a, a, you know, a mutual fund, it could be mutual fund A or B, it might be appropriate, but what's more appropriate for, for you? Yeah. Um, you know, my mother's 83, uh, selling her a mutual fund that has whole, all growth equities may not be the right mutual fund for her. Maybe a bond mutual fund grouping would be better for her. So just just educate yourself so that you know um, what 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 products and services are, are right for you. Um, tip number three is understand how you'll pay for those services and products. How does your financial advisor get paid? I cannot tell you the number of times people say to me, "I don't know. I didn't ask." He seemed honest. Why would I ask? It's your money. So you need to ask how you're going to get paid. How, how is this person going to get paid? Is it a commission? Is it, um, is there going to get, get paid per, um, the amount of money that you have in an account? And the one thing that drives me wild is when I talk to people and they say, oh, I don't pay him. The company pays him. You pay. It's part of your money. He's making a commission based on you. So make sure you understand how they're getting paid. Are there some ways that are better to pay them than others? If it's more explicit, is that better than if it's kind of hidden in it, management fees? It really, truly depends on your own personal situation. You know, um, somebody might want to have a discretionary account where, you know, you let the advisor make the decisions for you. You know, it really totally depends on your situation. All we're saying is understand how that person is making money and at, keep asking questions until you understand how that person's making money. And if you're buying a product that's not a normal product, you should understand how that product is going to make money so that you can make money on it. Um, tip number four is ask for the financial professional's experience and credentials. Make sure that they're licensed. We've talked lots about that today. Um, and then ask about the ask if the financial professional has a disciplinary history with the government regulator or had customer complaints. Um, so find out about them. As we talked before, go to Broker Check and find find out. We have if they've had a disciplinary history, should you automatically stay away from them? Or sometimes they have customers that complain that are not really legitimate. Well, I would ask about it. You know, if I saw a disciplinary history, I would I would do more investigating and maybe ask for um, references 
from the from the advisor uh, and talk to other of his customers, you know, at least it would be a red flag to to do do some more research. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have a brochure on um, investor.gov called uh, Ask Questions, and it's questions you should ask before you give anybody your money. It's my favorite brochure that we have. And I always say to people, take that brochure with you, ask every question in the brochure, and write down the answers in the back. And if you can get through the whole book um, and ask all the questions of it, that's a, that's a good sign with um, with the professional. Another resource that you offer uh, at Investor.gov is what's called EMMA, the Electronic Municipal Market Access System. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of the things on that website, both relating to municipal securities and also college savings plans? Well, Emma has a – how to get there would be to go to Investor.gov and then go to Research and Managing Your Investments. And in there, there's a whole link over to Emma. So it has, you know, all sorts of information on bonds. It has all sorts of information um, on um, – you know, where you would buy the bonds, or the people who are selling the bonds, you know, that kind of information. But we also have a lot of information on 529 plans in our own uh, website, investor.gov. Um, so you can research 529 plans and learn all about them, learn about the different types of plans. Uh, I have a good friend right now who's trying to decide whether to go with a college saving plan from the state of Virginia or to go with a 529 plan or or what happens. But what you should know is that each of those 529 plans are state-specific. So the information you get would be from the individual states. Yeah. Uh, okay. So um, we're, we're about to sum up here. So why don't you give us an overview of, if you do it right, how you can do well. I mean, we, we could scare people off so much that they don't want to save or invest at all. There's all these frauds out there trying to get them. But I guess your message is, if you do things right, you can actually do quite well. Well, you know, that's that's a real fine line. I was just telling someone that this morning, that that's a real fine line that we walk in that we want you to invest. We want you to manage your money. What I say to people all the time is there are two ways for you to earn money in life. One is for you to work and have the, and work for the money and get paid an income. And the other is to have your money work for you. And the way that you're going to accumulate wealth is to have both of those streams of money and to have your money working for you as well as, you know, you working for money. And so there's lots of great ways to invest. There are a lot of wonderful financial advisors and brokers out there who are very honest and um, who have you your interest in their minds, you know, their, your best interest. Um, and we just say, you know, just be careful and know what you're doing. But my number one statement that I make all the time is that you're responsible for your own wealth. And that means that even though you have a broker, even though just make sure that you understand what you're investing in, that you've checked out the person, and that you know, you know, the returns that you're getting and read these statements when they come in each month. I know that sometimes you're busy, but that's a great thing to do. And if there's any questions or the problems, call the SEC and report it. But I think that if you do that, if you, um, you know, manage your own wealth, 
you know, you could be very successful. There's a lot of great investments out there. Terrific. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Kathleen Floyd. She's Deputy Director of Investor Education at the Securities and Exchange Commission. And hopefully we've given you a lot of helpful advice to protect yourself against investment fraud. So thanks so much for being a guest on the Money Answer Show, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.